Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James, and I am super pumped to be here with you all, as I always am, my friends, as I always am. Always am. This is fine. Everything's going well so far. This is a special episode, y'all, for a number of reasons. First off, this is episode 52. 52. Now, there are 52 weeks in a year based on my quick mathematical calculations. And so that would make this the one-year anniversary of Diner Talks with James. Y'all, I don't know if I have done anything consistently every week for an entire year besides eat burgers. So this is pretty freaking special, y'all. This is a great time. And just thanks for being on the journey, y'all. It really means a lot. This has been a fun project, and I just found out this has been listened to in over 51 countries. We got 10,000 downloads. We got almost four or 5,000 people that have, unique people that have listened to it. And, uh, I, you know, those numbers mean a lot. It's really cool. And so thank you for being one of those numbers. <laughs> uh, it means the world. And as always, if you think other people should be a part of this for year two, it would be special if you shared it with them. This is also a really special episode because sitting next to me right now is uh, my wife, Tina Van Steenbergen. Now, you may remember Tina from an earlier episode when she crushed it. This is another episode where Tina crushes it. I assume we haven't recorded it yet, but the thing is, is that Tina Van Steenbergen is an outrageous professional speaker. She talks to women about why women need women and how for women, confidence should be a team sport. She runs her own women's empowerment conference. Conferences, actually, friends, called Persist. And they are incredible. She runs one for adults in the fall and one for collegiate women in the spring. And this woman has built quite the hive around her hexagon logo. And she is an incredible woman. I'm obviously very biased. I'm also obviously very right. She is also the mother to our wonderful, soon to be, actually, as the time, when this comes out, he will be eight months old. So shout out to Rome, who is hopefully going to sleep through this entire podcast. In which case, thank you to the gift of editing. But enough of that, my friends. Let's bring her out right now. Tina Van Steenbergen. Oh, wait, you're next to me. We don't have to bring her out. Hi. Hi. When'd you get here? Yeah, no, been here the whole time. The oh. whole elongated, awkward introduction, just been sitting right next to you the whole time. How'd that feel? Uh, yeah. See previous awkward, yeah. verbose introduction yeah, yeah. comments. Now, is it awkward because you're like, damn, well, that's true. Damn, well, that's true. Yeah. Damn, well, that's, yep, that that's exactly why I sit there and listen. I'm like, wow, oh, you're right. I'm a badass. Man, I'm amazing. Yeah, that's exactly how it happened. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay. <laughs> Tina, this show is called Diner Talks with James. I think you know that. But I have uh, heard. Mm, 
Mm. Heard. And so one thing that we'd like to do with all of our guests that you and I did not do last time is I like to start off with learning what is your late night guilty pleasure? Now, you're someone who's had the opportunity to travel around the country mm. uh, based in the Midwest, of course. And so, you know, maybe it's something you can get at a steak and shake or something like that. There's a couple local diners around here. Shout out to Mickey's was in the Mighty Ducks. But, uh, but you know, but you have spent time, you lived in New York, you lived in Indy, you spent time on the West Coast, you're no stranger for a taco truck. Mm. And so uh, you also could crush a Waffle House. So I'm curious, when you think about all of your late night options, what is your favorite? First of all, I don't know why we didn't do this last time. I'm a little offended. I wasn't like... Well, you know, you included know. in the diner talks trend at the very beginning. Although you broke the trend, my love. Okay. I'm still right about ice cold water and ketchup, which I believe were where we spent our time last time instead of having this conversation. Wow. So that's number one. Wow. Number two, I have lived several places and tried several things. It was not until I moved to New York or maybe visited you in New York mm -hmm. that I discovered diners. Yes, there's a few diners. There are a few diners here in the Twin Cities, and I'm really proud of you for shouting out Mickey's and its place in the Mighty Ducks. I'm actually a little turned on right now. Mighty Ducks reference. Come on. <laughs> that's, that's all I need in my life. This Minnesota movie trivia, you all. Come on. So uh, I'm grateful to you for that, and I've eaten at Mickey's several times, but I thought it was sort of, you know, in a movie novelty. Didn't realize that there were diners mm -hmm. every other street corner. In sure. New York City and the magic that was inside of them. Mm -hmm. I did not discover those until my late 20s, early 30s. And I was forever changed. Fast food late at night serves its purpose. Sure. I'm actually a Taco Bell guilty pleasure kind of gal Taco myself. Taco Bell? Where did you, where did, what's your Taco Bell move? You know, the cool thing about Taco Bell is that you don't have to just like, oh, you're number three. I mean, like you could, but I feel like you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. It just feels like a plethora of a la carte options. Mm -hmm. So some days I want the chicken quesadilla. Although our nephew would say I'm doing it wrong and I should just get the cheese quesadilla. Sure. I think a soft taco supreme is one of the best menu items at Taco Bell. The sour cream. Sour cream. Levels, levels it up. Takes it all the way. I recently discovered the beefy five-layer burrito, which sure. is hard to say without being self-conscious. Yeah. For lots of reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... That was the title of my second EP. <laughs> it's the title of my memoir. Okay. So we're great. doing well, great. So fast food, yes. So fast food late at night has its place and serves its purpose, but nothing beats a late night diner experience. And what's your late night diner move? I'm a breakfast all day kind of human. Mm. Eggs, fun fact, eggs are my maybe my favorite food. I crush some eggs. So I would get two eggs over easy, over medium, if I trust the chef back there, with sausage, wheat toast, and some avocado on the side, if I can. Wow. I'm very fancy. Wow. And then if I'm really hungry, slash maybe have had a few cocktails, then I maybe get a side of French toast or pancakes. But... There you go. There you go. Well, that's awesome. Uh, you're definitely a white woman. Oh. Um... <laughs> <laughs> All right, grilled uh, cheese sandwich. Calm down. I don't know. Yeah. Like we're mocking me a lot over I here. Bacon on it, but yeah. Okay. The uh... 
It is, uh, no, that is a classic for a reason, a classic breakfast for a reason. And, uh, and shout out to you. One big difference between you and I, uh, man, there are many, um, just one, just one, but, uh, is that you are a, everything on the plate belongs in a bite together Oof. kind of individual. Whereas I'm like one at a time. Now everybody just wait your turn. Yeah. Cause you're so organized. Very organized. <laughs> Very organized. Just particular. And I like control. <laughs> I don't want anybody taking over anything else. I also like control, which is why I very carefully and meticulously build bites. Mm. So a little bit of that egg with the yolk, with mm -hmm. the sausage, with the avocado, plus the wheat toast. Come sure. on. Yes. We curse in the diner, yeah? Yeah, we Fuck do. me up. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm here for it. Uh, we frequently have breakfast for dinner. We do. Shamelessly. Breakfast for lunch. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. breakfast tacos are had at all times of day in yep. this household, really. Because, mm -hmm. y'all, I make a mean scrambled egg. Facts. I'm playing no jokes. It's facts. I'm with my scrambled eggs. Yeah. Tina, mm -hmm. when you were last on the show, uh, we were going to have a baby. <laughs> uh, you were pregnant. I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember that. Because <laughs> it does feel like ages ago and a whole lifetime ago in some ways, at least for me. Um, of course, I wasn't the one carrying the baby, so maybe it's a little more relevant for you. But anyway, uh, let's not worry about science right now. <laughs> but uh, so, but we have this really powerful conversation about having a baby. What is it going to be like? What do you want? What's one thing that you hope that baby feels or thinks or knows um, or that you want to teach that child? Mm -hmm. um, it's a really beautiful moment. You have since had said baby. And uh, congratulations, by thank the way. You. Thank and you thank so you. Much. And thank you more, more importantly for what you've done for our family. Um, but uh, it's so interesting because a year ago, we were dreaming about this moment, wrapping up the second trimester. And we're like, what's it going to be like? How's it going to be? And we're reading all the books and we're learning all the things. And you're listening to what not to do when you're expecting blogs and all that kind of garbage. And so uh, what to do when you're expecting, which turned out to be more of what not to do when you're expecting. Yeah. Anyway, that's fine. Um, but uh, how does it feel to be on the other side of it? right now like how does it feel to like to, to put yourself back in that space and now look at how far we have come uh surreal mm -hmm. is the first word that pops into my head which is maybe a little cliche but there are still moments where i go oh shit right we're parents <laughs> right like someone like calls you a new mom i had a client call me and say, Tina, I think I have an outdated version of your bio. And I was like, what do you mean? They were like, oh, it doesn't say you're a new mom. I was like, oh, <laughs> right. I'm a new mom. And that's relevant in my bio. <laughs> like I just, <laughs> so there's part of it that feels very surreal uh, that every time I say, even when I just looked at you right now and said, oh, right, we're parents. I had the same moment. I was like, but actually we are. Last time we were doing this, I was touching my stomach, making sure he was moving. And now we're like, have a baby monitor hidden in the corner over there to make sure that if something happens, he's while he's sleeping, <laughs> make sure that he's moving. <laughs> like, it's so wild uh, because to your point, that also feels like a lifetime ago, Yeah. even though it wasn't, but yeah. So yeah. I would say that it feels very surreal to be on this side now. And I am still, eight months. Right. So I'm still adjusting mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. 
adjusting is the right word. Um, some days coping, um, <laughs> but mainly adjusting. <laughs> what about for you? How does it feel for you? I asked the questions around here, Tina. But, uh, so the next question I have is, <laughs> uh, how does it feel for me? Uh, you know, it. everybody says that has had a child, oh, it changes everything. Oh, everything changes. And in your naive brain, you're like, me on everything? Like, but like, how is how is how is just like everything going to change? You cannot fathom the idea that everything changes because how is that physically possible, emotionally possible? Um, and uh, it has in fact changed everything. Um, and uh, that is, yeah, that's been overwhelming. It has been inspiring. It has been uh, exciting. It has been sad, um, and it has been. I would say bond forming. I feel like you and I are closer than we've ever been, even though we don't always see eye to eye in a lot of this stuff. Like my love for you is deeper. Um, and, uh, at, and and then there are other days where it's angering and you're like, okay, so you're tired and you're not sleeping. Let's talk about that choice because <laughs> you're clearly tired. Mm -hmm. And what's going on here, boo-boo? Go ahead, <laughs> close them eyes. And so, yeah, there's moments where, you're just like, I, how could I be doing this so wrong? Yet mm. the world sees us and we're doing it right because it turns out we might be. Mm. Um, Do yep. you really call him boo-boo? Uh, in those moments, yes. <laughs> it's kind of like when I get cut off in traffic. Everybody's name is Sweetheart. Yes. Oh, yeah, sure, Sweetheart. Okay, so, oh, yeah, yeah, Sweetheart. Come on in here, Sweetheart. Yeah, whatever you need to do. Yeah, if James ever calls you Sweetheart, listen. Not a compliment. Not a compliment. Pure <laughs> backhanded <laughs> passive aggression. That's it. That's it. <laughs> You never called me sweetheart. I appreciate that. Well, not to my face, yeah. at least. Not where I can hear you. Exactly. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> it is wild to think about it is, how yes. much can change. And I yeah. think for us, the change has been compounded because, yes, Rome changed everything about our life. And 10 months before Rome arrived, everything in our life changed. And not because we saw a positive sign on a pregnancy test, but because COVID took our business out of the knees and grounded us in all of our flights and travels and forced us to sit in the same room at the same time yeah. for weeks in a row, which had never happened right. to us before. So every time I think about how much Rome has changed my life and our collective lives, I just like, it's intense to process because it wasn't just Rome. It has been so much in the last year and a half. Yes. Yeah, it turns out COVID is real. Uh, who knew, right? Shout out to science. Uh, please wear a mask and get vaccinated. Because um, <laughs> it's still happening. Turns out, still real and not gone. Nope. We are not in a post-COVID era. Almost less gone. Turns out. Numbers-wise. Mm -hmm. Anyway, <clears throat> but uh, let's move on uh, before this gets ranty. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, you are right. Our world was rocked. And so, by a number of things last year. And so, here's, here's a question I have for you is that, you know, one thing that people love to give advice on is travel. Another thing that people love to give advice on is weddings. The thing that the people in the world most like to give advice on is parenting. Mm. Everybody's got a thought about what you should, especially if they find out you're new parents, then buckle up. You are getting all of the unsolicited advice from literally everyone from, from Barb at Target <laughs> 
to, to your parents um, and literally everybody in between. Um, and so I'm wondering what was some of the best advice that you heard and what was some of the worst advice that you heard in stepping into this new journey? Hmm. I think some of the best advice that we heard, uh, we got very early on. The advice that was most practically helpful to us, I think, in the beginning was the advice that we were given about our hospital stay, mm-hmm. about asking to talk to lactation consultants, about, you know, you're going to feel terrible when you let the nurses take your baby to sleep in the nursery for the night. And you're going to feel like you're a bad parent, like you shouldn't let them out of your sight. But those six hours that you will sleep, you will desperately need mm-hmm. two days from now. So let them do it because they have it under under control and you need to rest. Right. So just some of those in the moment when all of the hormones and I just had my body cut open and we're just trying to figure out what just happened. And Oh, right. There's a tiny human in the room. Like having people say to us, trust me, this is worth your time was so helpful because I don't know that I would have made those decisions had we not been encouraged to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. So that that early on advice about how to survive the hospital experience and make it work for you. That was some of the best. That was some of the best that we yeah. got. Yeah. My two favorite pieces of advice were uh, babies are adult proof. Yeah. Right. Like you have to work hard to be a bad parent, especially in the beginning. Like you mm-hmm. like you really you got to try. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so that was kind of that was somewhat relieving. Mm-hmm. And then also a, a buddy of ours um, <clears throat> also said, make sure when you're thinking about naming the baby <laughs> that you pick a name that you can yell easily. Practice. Because right? no one said. wants to be like Magdalene. Right. Like it's, take, <laughs> it's taking too long. Right. You're, you're too many syllables deep. Mag, Magdalene's already in the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Practice yelling it. I practice yelling advice. it. Was yeah. also Go to the advice. garage and practice yelling at your yeah. get child. The, get the yeah. timber and timbre, whichever one it is. Right. hundred yeah. percent. I also love that piece of advice. We've just not practically used it yet. I'm not really yelling at the tiny human at this moment in no. time. No, but no, no, I no. believe that the advice will come in handy. Yeah. I'm sure. 100 percent. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so yeah. So then what is some of the worst advice that you think you, did you, did you get any bad advice or frustrating um, advice or like, yeah, I would, I don't know if I got a single piece of bad advice, but I think, uh, advice that is actually judgment. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Is the, the dark side. The like, yeah. Oh, wow. You're really going to do that. Mm, I really wouldn't. <laughs> or, Oh, you're letting him fall asleep in your arms. Mm clingy babies (laughs) like where it's not actually advice it's judgment and even if it's not intended to be judge judgy it still feels judgy especially when you're in one of the most insecure places you'll be as an adult Mm -hmm. uh, and you're already afraid and then to and as we've talked about we've not shared it yet but one of the hardest parts about new parenting for us has been decision fatigue yes you have to make every freaking decision about this person's life. Yeah. Should we put on a short sleeve onesie or a long sleeve onesie? Probably a long sleeve onesie. A long sleeve onesie inside the swaddle? Is it going to be, is the swaddle too tight? The swaddle's too loose. Let me move the world re-swaddle one more time. Is the sound machine too high? Is it too low? If it's too low, it's not going to work. Is it dark enough in here? I don't know if it's dark enough in here. We should probably close the door all the way, but then I can't hear all the way. But wait, he's going to sleep next to us. How long should he sleep next to us? Is he breathing? Yes, he's breathing. Is he breathing for real? <laughs> yes, he's really breathing. Does he have socks on? Do they wear socks and swat? Like, Every single second is another choice to make. Yes. 
And it just gets so overwhelming, especially when you are exhausted to be making all those choices and then to not know. Yeah. I don't know if he needs a long sleeve or a short sleeve onesie. And when you're that new, I don't know if it matters because every decision feels like it matters. It don't matter. He going to be just fine. But like, it feels like it matters. So you're already on edge, tired, overwhelmed, hormonal, all the things. You're already in those places. And then people make little comments that are supposed to be advice, but are actually judgment. Yep. And it makes you even more self-conscious and yes. even more, for me, ragey because i <laughs> finally made this decision and i will end your life if you're gonna show up and try to make me mm -hmm. feel badly about it i don't have any time so i don't know that i got a specific piece of bad advice but anybody who judges new parents who are just trying to do their best can take a walk yep yeah i agree i agree with you i don't know if there's one bad thing uh, but lots plenty of thoughts yes People like to come in with the thoughts yes. and they try to phrase it as advice and then fail miserably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. Now, it's it's awesome because you teach women um, that confidence should be a team sport. You talk about women's empowerment. Uh, you talk about body image. You talk about all this kind of stuff. And then you just went through uh, what many would consider uh, one of the most badass things that a woman could do. Um, and I think what we also learned is that even though we have a lot of friends around us that have, who have been through it, that have gone through it, um, there was still plenty of things that were never, you were never told. And so in some ways, in some ways it's like, when do you tell somebody these things? Because you can't tell them right when they become pregnant. You can't, you can't tell them before they're getting pregnant. Cause that's just, that's probably effective. That's more effective birth control than the Orlando airport. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, like, so, uh, and so like, I think the, the release time of some of these things is also interesting. And then most people just kind of hold on. And, and whenever people do share, it's always doom and gloom stories. Like, oh, well, you know what happened to her over in Iowa, mm -hmm. um, right? And so mm -hmm. like, oh, well, we just heard a story about so-and-so. And it's always this doom and gloom stuff. Um, and so I'm wondering, as, like, as, as a woman who has went through it, still going through it, let's be honest, we have a newborn, um, but like, thinking about the way that other women could help each other mm. during this time, what do you think you would do differently now that you have gone through this and now like, as other, you know, a friend of ours just told us that they were pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, when, when do you tell people some of these things yeah. or do you not? And like, what was that experience like? The whole time I was pregnant and I was learning these different things that were happening to my body, things that I didn't know were going to happen. Didn't matter how much research I'd done. There's so much about it that is shrouded in mystery, which is absurd. I was so frustrated because I was like, what? It's my body. Like, how do I not know that this is what's supposed to happen? How did nobody tell me this? Mm -hmm. And then you talk to people that were pregnant. Like my mom was pregnant a long time ago. And you say this to her, you're like, oh, and this happened. She's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's the worst. And you're like, cool. Thank you. <laughs> this is really helpful. And then you have the baby and there's so much that you didn't know. And that you like, for me, the example I will use, I don't know. I had no idea how hard feeding was going to be mm -hmm. regardless of what your feeding journey is, breastfeeding formula, a combination, regardless, it's hard because you're, you don't know how much 
the child's actually getting, especially if they're spitting up on a regular basis and you don't know how much they're supposed to get. And if they come out jaundiced, like several babies do, then you're even more concerned about calories in. And every two hours you have to try to feed this baby who doesn't know how to feed itself yet. So it's just, it's a lot. And nobody said anything to me about how hard it was going to be. People talked about how breastfeeding was important and worth trying, but the stress of, is my baby eating enough? Is he going to stay alive? Was never, I don't know if it could have been, right? So for a long time, I was really frustrated because I was like, why did nobody tell me about this? This is such garbage. I don't think anybody talks about it, A, because there's like the deepest pits of survival yeah. that I've ever been in of like, we're just trying to survive. And what, you know what I don't have time to do? Write it down. Like what I should have done is like write a blog. About, I don't have time for that shit. Like I don't have time to sit down and be like, dear future mom, let me tell you about my feeding journey. Like Three I, days postpartum. Seriously. Blog one. There are women who do that. And those women are incredible because they are not me. My brain was not capable of processing. Um, and so it was really frustrating. And to go back to the laced in judgment comment, even if somebody had tried to say, Tina, feeding your baby is going to be really hard. If you're, when you're that insecure and that overwhelmed, now your brain starts to be like, well, wait, is it hard because I'm doing it wrong? Yeah. And then you start to write. So what I have learned to do and whether this is helpful or not is initially I wanted to, every time a new person in my life came forward and said they were pregnant, I wanted to be like, oh my God, sit down, get a pen. I have so much to tell you, but that's not helpful right. because everybody has their own insecurities and everybody has their own fears. And so what I have chosen to do instead, and I really hope that it has been helpful to the people that I have done it for is to reach out and say, I will tell you everything. I will tell you completely unedited versions. We will talk about cracked nipples. We will talk about C-section, sight wound healing. We will talk about vomit. We'll talk about literally anything you want to talk about. At any point you need somebody, I will give you the real answers. I promise. Yeah. Ask when and if you're ready. Mm -hmm. And that feels purposeful because yeah. I do want to offer help and, and guidance if it's helpful and actually guiding. And I don't want to just dump my shit all over you and your motherhood journey. Yeah. And so it feels like that's the middle ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw something on Instagram the other day that said, I'm so proud to be a part of the generation that is demystifying motherhood. Mm. And that spoke deeply to me that there was just so much of like, you're going to hold your baby in your arms and everything's going to be perfect. And you're going to feel more whole than you've ever felt. If that was your journey, get it, sis. Cheers to you. That was not my journey. And so to be able to be a part of, even in my little interpersonal pockets of making it all feel more real and less shrouded in mystery feels really purposeful mm -hmm. because everyone who did that for me I'm, I, I'm so grateful for, and I would love to give that energy back out to new moms. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of like, in, in sharing a whole bunch with somebody, you are in some ways, like kind of trying to write their story unintentionally, but it could feel like that of like, you don't know what kind of experience I'm going to have, or you don't know where I'm at. You don't know, like you brought up, you brought up the word trauma, right? You don't know what trauma I have had, mm -hmm. what trauma I will have. Um, and so like, don't put, don't put your stuff on me or yeah, there's, there's a whole, there's a whole piece of it where a lot of it is like, you just need to go through it. Yes. And, uh, and that's not to say that don't ask the questions and don't reach out for sure. But I'm, I'm saying like, there's, there's still a piece of this that even if we had gotten all that information, 
even having all that information, I don't know if it would have made any of this easier, smoother, uh, or, or any. There's there's a few there's a few like minor things, mm -hmm. uh, not minor like you know like learning what anesthesia does to you, sure. right? Like and your how your body your your particular body reacts to anesthesia, yeah. um, right? Like that would have been cool to know ahead of time. But how the hell would we have known that? Right. We wouldn't have. Um, and so like those kinds of things are, um, you just I don't know. You just got to go in it. And there's something about the the adrenaline of the moment that just like makes you show up. Yes. And that is real. It's really beautiful and badass to watch women do. And, and, and uh, <clears throat> those in heterosexual couples, like, you know, dads do it too and show up uh, if they're, if they're doing the right thing and recognizing uh, the moment. Well, yeah. And I think, yes, everything you just said, and it's already scary, right? as I was pregnant and we were getting closer and closer, I was afraid. Mm -hmm. You're, and the most helpful phrase I heard, which was a little condescending over time, but was still 100% true, women do this every day. Women's bodies give birth in the world every day. And so like my body should be able to do this. Like Tina, it's going to be okay. You're not, not that you're not special, but like, you know what I mean? Like you have a assigned female at birth body and you can do this. Mm -hmm. And so that was helpful and calming, but it's scary to become a new parent as a woman or as a man, obviously as a woman, there's physical things happening immediately, but it's terrifying. And so if somebody had been like, Oh my God, are you ready for what's going to happen when you have a C-section? I've been like, stop talking. I'm scared. I don't need you to give me any more reason to be afraid. Yeah. And so balancing the, what is helpful and helping people prepare and what is just making it harder to wrap your brain around feels really important. And I think regardless of gender identity, what has been cool, and you've talked about this, I think on another episode, your instincts kick in, mm -hmm. right? Regardless of biology doesn't matter. Yeah. When somebody puts that tiny human in your arms, your brain switches and you just start being a parent. Mm -hmm. And as long as you keep caring about that kid and trying to do right by them, I think we can all be parents regardless of our sexual identity, our gender identity. It just instincts kick in and hormones change and it happens very fast and we are all capable of it. Sure. I think it's something we've learned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. I agree. Uh, this question is going to make you uncomfortable. Cool. Um, <laughs> how do you know you're a good parent? I... Because you are, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Thank you're you. Pretty great. But how do you like how do you, how do you know it? Um thank you. Uh I believe you. And I know it because I love him fiercely. Mm -hmm. And because I I know in my bones that nobody knows my kid like we know our kid. And so it is, I don't know if I'm doing everything right. Most days there are plenty of moments where I'm not doing it right, where we don't put the right onesie on or where I'm like, I'll set this bowl of food down right in front of him and it'll be fine. And then five minutes later, it's literally everywhere all over the floor, <laughs> including the dog, <laughs> stuff like that. We're like, that was not good. That was not the right decision to make in that moment. So it is not a matter of doing it right. Um, but it is a matter of doing it from a place of love every time and trusting 
my instincts that especially in this phase of his life where he cannot speak for himself, that's our job is to make sure that someone is taking care of him and that we are advocating for him until he can do it himself and until we can teach him to do it himself. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I take that job very seriously. And I have long said in my life, don't fuck with my people. And I mean that deeply. And now that we have a child, I, I don't know how to more emphatically say, don't fuck with my people. <laughs> like, don't. <laughs> Just don't. Because I, I will go to bat for a lot of people in my life that I care about. But for this person, that is our responsibility to love. I will go all of the way. And I think that is something that makes me feel like a good parent. Yeah. Yeah, we are proudly helicopter parents right now. Um, <laughs> or snowplow parents, whatever they call them. Yeah. Um, but yeah. They'll have <laughs> but a new name next week, too. I'm sure. But, I'm sure. And I don't feel ashamed of it. I no, really don't. not at all. No, this is this, like exactly what you said. This is the time. Someone who cannot advocate for themselves uh, and uh, who just barely knows up from down. Um, and like, yeah, this is this is the moment yes. um, for sure. Like he's been sick for a while now. Rome has had illness after illness this summer. And there are moments where the pediatrician's looking at you or your parents or someone's looking at you being like, he's fine. And my brain is like, no, he's not. And he doesn't even know he's not fine because he's six months old. And he's like he's smiling. smiling and laughing. But like, I know you have a temperature and I know you have a cough and I know those things are normal. And like, I don't care what you think, stranger person, I don't know. You're not his mom. I am. And I'm telling you he's not okay. And I will tell you, I will show up at your office every day and tell you he's not okay yeah. until you help me make him okay. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I, I feel zero shame or guilt in that yeah. department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you know you are a good parent? Because you are. Thank you. I will try to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> um... <clears throat> I think, you know, some of the ways that I know I am a good parent are, it's funny the way it's still, um, the way different parts of your life carry into this, where I know I'm a good parent when other people tell me I am, um, right? Because sometimes I don't, I'm not able, to, I can't hear it from myself. Um, and so hearing it from somebody else is powerful. Um, <clears throat> I... There, there are moments where, and this is not, this is not a bar that I am proud of, but there's moments where it's like, hey, you know, I haven't uh, heard a, a comment from you in a while that I maybe did something wrong, or not that you're like hounding me. You never, you don't do that. You're not a nagging individual, uh, but like it's just like, hey, I think you know, Tina's just been kind of like complimenting me for a while, so I think I'm on a good streak right now, um, right? And like that's not that's not the way to measure something, but that's sometimes the way I measure it, um, and uh, also the way that he looks at me hmm. um, is pretty awesome, right? Where like you know the uh, he likes me. He's excited when I'm around. Um, and, and we, you know, now that, now that we can finally make him laugh, boy, did he make us earn that. Uh, <laughs> it was a solid month and a half after the doctor said he should have been oh laughing. Oh my God. That's a tough audience is around everywhere. <laughs> oh man. You thought zoom was hard. Um, <laughs> but, uh, this was the, this was our only live person audience that we had for a year and a half. We couldn't get him to laugh. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. <clears throat> but, uh, so still, um, but like, I think some of those moments, 
where he just like, you know, looks up and smiles at you. I think those, those are the moments where it's like, Hey, you're, I don't know. You're excited that I'm here. And that's, that's a weird thing for me. It's like, you know, validation's a, a really powerful drug. It's by far my favorite drug that I've ever taken. And I encourage everybody to use it. Um, you know, probably try to figure out a way to do create it internally, but anyway, um, I'll work on that, <laughs> but still like that, uh, that a power of external validation is something that still, uh, drives me. And so those moments of him, um, you know, just like flopping on you and, and laying there for a second longer than he would. Yeah. Um, or, you know, some of those kind of moments where he laughs or he just, you just, you walk in the room and he smiles. Now I'm like, those, those are moments where I'm like, yo, this, this dude's glad I'm around. Um, which is, which is pretty cool. Yes. So. I, I genuinely believe you are his favorite thing right now. I don't, he smiles at you more than he smiles at that cheap plastic bear that he can't take out of his mouth. Which is impressive because he freaking loves that bear. He does. But he loves you more. Great four dollars. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> but it's uh and it for like, yes, that external validation might feel like that's not the way to measure, right? I don't know if that's the right way to feel as a parent, yeah. but for me, that's when everything changed mm -hmm. for me. Right. So Going back to the everything changed on the second you put our baby in our arms in the hospital. I've never known love like this. And there's so much of that on Instagram, right? There's just so much of like yep. in the hospital, I met the love of my life and everything will be different forever. And I'm so, I'm so destined to be, and like so much connection and love and profound, overwhelming, whatever, motherhood, parenthood in the hospital. And I don't, I didn't see a lot of this, which is why it feels worthy of our time to say that that is not what happened. I have wanted to have a baby for a very long time. And every time I looked at him in the hospital, I was so overwhelmed that he was there. Like he was actually physically existed in the world and I could touch him. But more than anything, I felt like a lot of responsibility yes. and not like, Oh my God, I've never known love like this. I was like, I've never known a job like this. Like, this is my job. <laughs> this is why we work on my, this is why we don't have bosses. Seriously. <laughs> and now I have to like, the, I'm making sure that he was okay. Right. Felt like so much responsibility. And yes, I love him. He's my child. But those first for me, eight weeks it took because at eight mm -hmm. weeks, I will, the moment will be frozen in time. It was a, a several moments over a couple of days where it was clear that he had learned how to smile socially and he was smiling because I walked in the room mm -hmm. and smiling at me and not because he just farted like, like <laughs> genuinely like, Oh my gosh, that's my mom. Yeah. And for me, the switch flipped and all of a sudden it became, I am so in love with this tiny thing and I would do anything for you. Mm -hmm. Not just, I need to make sure that you're okay all the time. Yeah. And so that was when that like external validation that I recognize you are my parent feels it, that changed everything for me. Because when you have this tiny, the newborn life is like, you just give and give and give everything you've got literally for women is physically like everything I've got goes into keeping this kid alive. Yeah. And he doesn't know you're there, right? He's not cognizant. He's like, he can't connect with you. Literally can't see you literally. for a while. <laughs> and so that moment yeah. when he could identify that I was his mom and I could see that that brought him joy, that changed everything for me. Yeah. And that is when I started to feel that profound, overwhelming love for this tiny person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And it's interesting. You know, one of the, one of the hardest parts of 
this experience so far for you and I as a couple, for me, I think this is hard for you as well, uh, but I won't put words in your mouth, is that that falling in love with Rome process uh, happened at different paces. Yes. And I had done a lot of research and knew damn well that, uh, that it frequently takes men longer to feel attached to their baby, right? Like you, you literally had a nine month, 10 month head start. Um, so there's that. Um, and then there's also the, uh, the emotional connection when it comes to feeding as stressful as it was when it worked, it was really beautiful. Um, and that moment where you're just, you know, he, he's looking up in your eyes and you're looking down at his and like, you're literally giving him life. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. right. Like there's, there's a lot of that where it makes sense why men frequently will not feel as connected to their child. Um, and, and, and I remember, pulling you aside and, and having a really tear-filled conversation sometime after it was right around like the, the I think it was around the three month mark, two or three month mark. Um, it was right at, it was after he had started smiling socially at you. And, um, and I remember just being super scared that you uh, would resent me or not love me as much or, or anything, um, judge me, um, because I was not falling in love with our baby as, as quickly as you were. And I felt like that made me a shitty person. That made me someone who it's like, Oh, here we go, James, all your fears of being too selfish as a parent, here they are. And you're just proving yourself right, dude. Look at you. Good job. You called it right. And you, you write the story and then you find ways to reinforce it. And that's what I was doing, um, which was not healthy. Um, but that is what I was doing. I was like, look, actively looking for ways to reinforce my fears. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so that was super, that was a super tough moment for me, a very vulnerable moment for me where I was like, yo, I'm not there, but I, I want you to know that I want to be there um, and that I'm not going anywhere and I'm going to keep doing it. And I know it'll, it'll eventually happen. And if it doesn't happen until the kid starts talking, then I'm still going to be here. I'm not going anywhere. Um, but if it happens sooner, then that's great too. Um, but I was, you know, I started to get really scared because what you were just talking about was really beautiful. When we think about this concept of love, love, we think about all the beautiful sides of mm -hmm. love um, and, and what it means to love someone. But responsibility is absolutely a piece of love, mm -hmm. right? I, as uh, you know, you, as you, as my partner, I have a responsibility um, uh, to, uh, to make you happy. Uh, and when you are not happy to be there for you in whatever way you need, um, I, have, I believe I have a responsibility to push you um, and not allow you to be complacent in life. Um, I have a responsibility to bring you joy. Um, and I am not a happy wife, happy life prescriber. I think that phrase is bullshit and a little bit archaic. Um, <clears throat> uh, but yes, I. but that does not mean that your happiness doesn't matter to me. Sure. Um, and so... Uh, but responsibility is not sexy love. Mm. And so maybe I was in love with him earlier, but it just looked a lot like responsibility that, and there wasn't responsibility that I craved or looked forward to. As a matter of fact, I was like, why did we make this choice again? <laughs> we actively chose, we tried, we, we put ourselves through hard. hell. We went through loss. We went through another, you know, year and a half of trying and now all the stress of month to month and what's going on with the, where are the levels at and yada, yada, yada. What day is it? Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And like, we chose this, we worked for this. We cried over this. 
we argued over this. We, you know, embraced over this. And I'm like, why? <laughs> what? What did we do? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's hard to see that as being called love in that moment. But maybe it was. It, gen it definitely was. And the challenging part, and that's why this conversation matters, right? Because the narrative is, if you don't feel purposeful every time you change a diaper, if you don't feel love every single time, like, then what, you're a bad parent? Even now, I am fighting the impulse to continue to say a few more times. We loved our child, y'all. We loved him. From the very beginning, we loved him. It was just harder for us to adjust. But I don't have to qualify. Like, I don't owe y'all that. And we live in a world where it feels like we're supposed to say, but I love him. It's really hard, but I love, of course you love him. Of course you love him, right? And I don't, we don't have to explain that to anybody. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a matter of acknowledging that like it is to your point, the very beginning, it changes everything. And it is the hardest thing I've ever done. I don't want to speak for you, but to give up the control, to give up the freedom, to get like, there's so much that comes with it that we just pretend goes away because of all the love. And I think those things can exist at the same time. I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive. I think it can be really freaking hard and we can still love him. I think we can be responsible and overwhelmed by that responsibility and still love him. And I think having the creating more spaces to discuss that it is not just an instant light switch and all of a sudden every single second of new parenthood becomes purposeful is necessary because of course you loved him. It just didn't feel like we were doing it right because everything else we've seen on the internet was that it was supposed to be pure joy. And I totally understand why you were concerned that I would judge you because the world gets judgy about it. And I'm very grateful that I had those first eight weeks of feeling very similarly because otherwise I might have judged you. Mm -hmm. If I had immediately fallen head over heels in love and felt purposeful in every single second of parenting, then I might have looked at you and been like, that would have been really hard. That would have been so hard. Yeah. So I am so grateful that it took me some time too, because I was able to look at you that day and say, I don't judge you. I totally understand. And just like it happened for me, I think that it will happen for you. And we just have to be patient and wait for it and keep showing up for him the best we can and keep talking about it, mm -hmm. which is what we tried to do. But it feels like you're doing something wrong if you acknowledge that it's incredibly hard and requires so much of you. And that feels like we're supposed to, because we wanted a baby so badly, because we worked so hard for it, because there are so many people who don't get this incredible gift that we've been given. It feels like you're not allowed to acknowledge that it's also really freaking hard. Yeah. And it is really freaking hard. And all those other things can be true. Right. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And one of the things that I think you would agree uh, about it feeling so hard is that it also, it feels very lonely. Um, you know, out here in, in, yes. uh, in Minnesota, we don't we don't have the biggest social groups. Or, and, and the, you know, this summer they've started to expand as mask mandates got a little looser uh, around here and, and grateful to start to try to finally build community. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of the hardest things for me was that I'm however many thousands of miles away from New York where my family is and I'm going through this huge thing. And uh, and I was like, I just don't have them there at, at any point in time, not 
uh, and, and just, I don't know, it'd be just the power of proximity. It's not like they would show up because I would ask them to show up every single day. They would, they would show up if I asked, but, uh, but like still just that power of proximity sometimes with loved ones. I was going through something so new and everybody that I really cared deeply about felt so far away. Um, and uh, especially as, an, as I'm in my own head about everything. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but there's that loneliness also where like, you know, we have some friends that, you know, that we literally couldn't talk to about this. Um, and just, you know, for, for, for some valid reasons, for sure. But like, it was really hard to be like, oh man, you know, like we can't even bring this up and talk about it. Uh, and, and you felt like eggshells and like, you know, like I have one buddy who in, in eight months has asked me two questions about, about the boy. Right. Um, and, and part of it's like, they don't have, they don't have kids yet. Um, and so it's like, it's just not on their radar that they need to be asking about it. And that's also one of the things that makes you feel super isolating too, is that like, we are, it feels like you're going through it alone, because mm -hmm. especially as a brand new parent, mm -hmm. uh, because everything is new and how could anybody else understand it? And how has anybody else ever done this? Uh, and, uh, and so I don't know that that was something that was really hard for me. Fortunately, you know, you found a few moms pretty early on that you could have some conversations with. Uh, but I know this has been fairly isolating for you. And I think that's one of the hardest that in our journey. That's something that you and I, I think, have agreed with is that that has been something that I don't I don't know how it could have looked different. Um, and I'm super grateful for your family. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but but still, uh, yeah, that, that was one of the harder parts of it all. Yeah. And I think continues to be in its own sure. way. Right. <clears throat> like. In the beginning, going back to you being a good dad, by the way, we did everything together. Mm -hmm. Every feeding we did together, right? I, Because I was healing from a C-section, I didn't change a diaper for the first two weeks of his life, right? Like every two hours we were sitting in his nursery trying to feed him. and We kept showing up and doing it together. And I think that was really helpful. It also got to a place where it was completely unsustainable because we could not stay awake and keep functioning, right? We had to start to divide and conquer. But there was... For us to try to fight that loneliness, there was solidarity in let's just continue to fight together, yeah. right? And and that was really powerful and helpful. And we were still having very different experiences. And so like, 100%. I'm so grateful that you would sit in that room with me. But what I was doing trying to fight with that baby on my body was very different than what you're trying to do, put a nipple in his mouth on a bottle, right? Like it's just yeah. different. Yeah. And so, yes, it was challenging. Uh it is challenging to be a parent and to try to find your parent pockets. And now I understand why pre-COVID there were like mommy groups. Like you'd go to be in a room with a bunch of women who were all seven, eight, nine months pregnant and you would meet each other and have coffee and go on dates and like exchange contact information so that it didn't feel as lonely and as scary. Yeah. But we had a baby in COVID times. So that wasn't a thing. Yep. And even in our, we did virtual parenting classes and we were trying like, those people look fine. Okay. They answered a question. Yeah. We got to get their email address. Why don't you send them a DM? Make them look laugh. Look at their coffee table. They have good taste. <laughs> like literally like, <laughs> oh, they got records back there. They like live music. Ask them a question about live music. Like we're like trying to orchestrate Zoom friendships with these strangers we've literally never met and only know that you're having a baby somewhere in the proximity of that we are having a baby. And turns out people didn't find that very like warm and fuzzy. They didn't want to just like be friends with us immediately after meeting weird. us on Zoom. So weird. weird. And so it was, uh, it was challenging because to your point, we have several friends who don't have kids and whether that's 
I'm the first in many of my friend circles to have a kid. And so I just have a lot of friends who haven't yet or don't want them. And so who care and love to a certain extent, but can only understand so much and don't want to hear you talk about all of the things. Um, you have a bunch of friends and family who have had kids for a while. Yep. And so they are not in the trenches and they're like looking at being like, yeah, that sucks. Yep. That was terrible. Yep. Good luck, buddy. Yeah. Good luck. A lot of like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah that was terrible. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That sucks. Sorry <laughs> about it. Um, and especially having been members of the fertility struggling community, I'm so cognizant to my other friends who have been trying to have a baby. I'm so aware of how much that can be triggering to hear about my, to have me complain or process parenthood yeah. while you, it's all you want. And that's so hard. Yes. And so having empathy made us, I think, even more cautious in our friendships and relationships with people that we knew were trying because it's so hard. Yeah. And so it just feels like all you want to do is talk about it because it's so overwhelming. Mean, I'm an external processor. So I'm like, I have to talk about it or it doesn't make <laughs> sense, but where do you talk about it? And so I had one sorority sister who she and I worked together maybe 10 years ago, but we've continued to follow each other on social media. And she was due like 10 days before we were. And she and I just started DMing like in the middle of the night when we were up alone or whatever. We had a couple frantic tear filled phone conversations mm -hmm. being like, I can't believe this is my life. Like just like needed. And like, we are not close friends. Yeah. I've never met her husband. I've not, we're not going to fly to see each other. But like in that moment, there was this pure sisterhood solidarity of like, listen, you are not alone. You are not crazy. And then I was able to then give that gift to a few other people who had a baby just a couple months after. Mm -hmm. One of my closest friends from grad school had a baby two months after we, or a month and a half. Yeah. Kennedy's six months younger than, or six weeks younger than Rome. And so Hannah will be like, did this really happen to you? I'm like, oh yes. Let me tell you what worked. Here's this resource. <laughs> or I'll be like, teething's kicking my ass. And she's like, oh, what should I? And so it's, it's crazy how connected you can feel to the people who are in the trenches with you, yep. but it's all virtual right now. Yes. There is no, there's no one physically in this trench with us. And there mm -hmm. hasn't been for the eight months that Rome has been alive. And that to your point, has been very challenging. Being here and having my family present has been so helpful. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful. Uh, and I think it's still hard to not have, to not be in the trenches with other people. <clears throat> yeah. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree with you, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you started talking about something powerful there. We talked about sisterhood. Uh, and uh, we're going to take a, a soft right right now. Um, and, and I'm just, I'm grateful for your, your vulnerability always, Tina. Um, and, and thanks for sharing what you have on here. Uh, and, uh, you know, one thing that we talked about last time you were on was, you know, being a badass uh, entrepreneur, um, running your own business, um, growing it yourself. And, uh, and, and that's been really special. And during, uh, and during quarantine, we also talked about how you and I approached it very differently, but then wound up at the same spot. Um, and, we both had some cool things to show for it, right? I created this podcast um, and a couple other things. And uh, and you created a, a women's conference um, because you made the decision that women need to gather um, and build confidence uh, together. Uh, right? As a, fa a phrase you famously say is that confidence is a team sport for women. Um, and so uh, you created this uh, conference called Persist, a badass women's conference. 
Um, and I, I would just love to hear like, what, what was the impetus behind like, you know, you already go around and you speak to individuals around the country. Why, what, what was up this level up? What, what, what was it that like, you know what, I, I want to create something where I can essentially control, uh, you know, an experience that these women deserve to have together to really curate the confidence creation. Woo. Okay. Crushed that alliteration. Alliteration is indeed sexy. <laughs> yeah, is indeed sexy. Uh, yes, I did. We did. Uh, we work with an incredible human who is integral to the development of Persis. Shout out to Laura. So we use we language a lot around here because literally couldn't do any of the things we do without Laura. So Facts. yes, we created Persis. And I just, first of all, I love the name of it. Every time I say it, I get excited about it because it's just perfectly on brand to who I am in the world. And I, it just gets me excited. It's a good thing I want to go to persist a badass women's conference. Yeah. I want to go. Let's go. I'm ready. It sounds so that brings me joy. Um, I think the creation of persist came from two different places at the same time. And one of them was in COVID. We didn't know what was going to happen to our business. Yeah. It was so scary to watch all those gigs get canceled and to not know if we were going to continue to be speakers and continue to own and run a business. Mm -hmm. And our collegiate clients continued to reach out to us and say, we need some help and we, we think you're the right person to help us. And that was so powerful that they trusted us mm -hmm. in those dark, scary times to do virtual programming that none of us really knew if it was going to work. And so I've been working for college age women for a very long time. And this was just wanted to like do something for them and not a me come to your campus and you only get access if you have this zoom account, but just like, I'm going to do this because I, I, I genuinely believe that you need it. College age women. I genuinely believe that you deserve it. And you have done so much for me and I'd like to give to you, especially after trusting me and all of the COVID. So that was a really big part of it. And the other part was going back to the loneliness and the missing of the community is, you know, one of the cool things that we get to do as entrepreneurs in the world is create what, what we wish existed. And especially in the loneliness of pregnancy, of new motherhood, of being entrepreneurs, of being stuck in your house for a year, right? Like there was so many compounding moments of loneliness that just creating community mm -hmm. and letting women come together and build those teams that are necessary to feel genuinely confident in the world and helping them, not even helping them, creating the space to allow them to do what we are wired to do, which is lean on each other. And sometimes we just need a, a safer, warmer, uh, curated space to do that. And I needed that. I want that. And so to be able to create it, to create what I was missing, create what I don't see in the world was uh, the motivation to do it, even postpartum. <laughs> it's like, I don't know why we're doing this. This is a lot of work and I'm tired already, but like, let's go. Because I think having a child and all that loneliness taught me how important it is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I still, I still cannot believe that you and Laura pulled this off postpartum, <laughs> right? Like it was in May. Rome was born on New Year's Eve. Well, it was originally supposed to be in March and then past Tina and Laura, high five past Tina and Laura. We're like, maybe we shouldn't try to pull that off in March. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> and then moved it to the first weekend of June. And June, excuse uh, me. that was 
uh, yeah, that was a game changer. And, with, and being able to pull it off was really special. It's one of the things I have been most proud of professionally in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. It's really freaking cool. And it was really special. It was virtual, obviously, has its limitations, but there was some really special energy uh, and mm -hmm. community created that those over those two days. It was really, it, it genuinely was badass. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and it's it's got to be so interesting to, uh, I don't know, like at some point, every like leadership matters. And at some point, someone takes responsibility, someone has an idea and someone wants to build, like lean into it and create and curate and like in, and inspire others to come along, right? That's leadership. And uh, the fact that you had the leadership uh, chutzpah to, to really, <laughs> as you as you've often said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Classic Tina. <laughs> Van Steenberg and very Jewish. Mm -hmm. um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but right, like you, that you have this leadership, uh, leadership chutzpah to really um, to uh, to get it done was was incredible, and it speaks to how much it matters to you. How many people showed up speaks to how much it matters um, uh, to the outside world, and how many people wanted to show up. How many people are like, how many adult women reached out to you and were like, "Yo, this is great. This is for collegiate women, but like, don't forget about adult women too. Like, we're still going through some stuff, also, right?" Like, and uh, and so it's fascinating to see uh, that transition in you as well as you start to try to think about how you're going to expand, persist. But uh, sorry, go ahead. It's just so overwhelming because putting it out was one of the most vulnerable things I've ever done professionally. Yes. When you put something new out into the world, it's scary, right? Like my business without persist is successful. And in the tiny world in which I work, I have a good reputation. I do good work and I have good relationships with my clients. Like I don't stress. I mean, I stress about the business. I want it to be successful. I want it to be meaningful, but like my business is successful. I don't need to do anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, and so then to be like, well, why don't I create this whole other thing that I think matters a lot, but I'm not actually sure if anybody else will give a shit about <laughs> and then hope and then like put it out on the internet and hope people care yeah. is really scary. It was so, it felt so vulnerable. That day I launched the video and launched the conference. I remember I saw you at like 11 AM and you were like, how many people have watched it? And I was like, edgy and cold. And I was like, I don't know. And you were like, what? Is it not going well? And I was like, I don't know. Cause I couldn't look. Yeah. Like I don't want to look because what if nobody's, what if literally three people have liked it in the four hours it's been live? Mm -hmm. What if this is an epic failure and why did I make myself vulnerable to an epic failure? And then turns out people cared and watched the video and registered for the conference. And then yes, several of adults asked, well, hang on. Is there an aversion? Can I go if I'm not in college? Yeah. Uh, and it was so overwhelming and powerful and affirming that something that I felt needed to exist in the world right. aligned with what other people needed to exist in the world. And so that has then led to the growth of Persist, which was Persist College happened this spring. It was really powerful and special. And now we need to do Persist for non-college age women. Yeah. And so that's going to happen this fall.
November 6th and 7th, mark your calendars. Um, so we're going to do that for adult women and see what that feels like. And I think it's going to be really special. And then we're going to try to figure out what can happen with Persist College in the future. Ideally, we do it twice a year, one for specifically college-age women and one for women of all ages, backgrounds, and vibes. And uh, yeah. But it's interesting because you were surprised. Yeah. You were surprised at not at not the success. You can you can hold on that. Um, but you you've been surprised for a few years that at a lot of the conferences that you've spoken at, where there happen to be maybe alumni members or there's board members of the organization, the collegiate women's places that you've spoken, that like in the lineup to meet you afterwards and thank you or talk about or ask you if you could speak somewhere else. In that lineup was often like 50-50 adults to collegiate women. Meanwhile, the audience was like 95, 5%, mm-hmm. right? And and so you were shocked to learn that your messaging resonated with adult women, mm-hmm. which was fascinating for me to hear because uh, I, first off, I teach what I believe I need to hear. Sure. And so you, I don't believe that you are teaching just what Tina, who was in college, needed to hear. Sure. I think you were also teaching what Tina 20 to 2021 needs to hear. Sure. Um, and so uh, what what was it about having those adult women? Like why, like, why was that so surprising to you? Because you write a story that your success is limited, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're good at this, in this way, in this box, in this phase of time. That's what you're good at, Right. Teen, even saying a lot of my business is successful is impressive for me to now be able to say it loud because it took me a very long time to be able to say that and to, to say it without feeling uncomfortable about it. But even then, I would qualify it in any other room. I speak to college-age women specifically on these kinds of campuses, specifically about this messaging and specifically in this energy that really makes it relevant, right? Like, it's really easy to write the story that I'm only successful because I've niched myself a certain way or because these are the clients that keep booking me. And so, right. Like I don't know. I think very recently I've been able to say I'm a successful speaker and not I'm a successful college speaker. Mm. Cause it starts to feel like that's the reason you were successful is because of these three limitations as opposed to who you are and what you do for the world makes you feel successful. And so it's really validating to know that it's not just about the only need, like the, the small market we serve, right? It's not just about that. It's about my message re- resonates and is relevant for more reasons than the market in which I have built my career. And so that, I think, just like it took me a long time, I mean, you were there from the beginning when I quit my full-time job to start speaking on my own. It took years for me to be comfortable saying, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a successful business person, I'm a successful speaker. And just like that took me years, I think getting to the point where I can say, I'm a successful speaker in whatever market I happen to be serving, I think that'll take me some time. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Because I don't think it's self-deprecation. I think it's, uh, I mean, maybe some humility, but most more than anything, it's learning. I'm really glad I didn't just wake up being like, I'm good at this shit. So who wants to listen to me talk about it today? Uh, it's been really powerful for me to learn as I grow and as I move forward to learn consistently 
where what I'm good at. And I'm really glad that didn't just turn on like a light switch for me because I think that makes me really grateful and hungry. So for persist to be successful makes me excited, but not, uh, but like excited to keep learning and growing about what I can do next. Mm -hmm. And that I'm glad, I'm really grateful to be learning those lessons. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's super powerful. And I admire you for it. Uh, I think also we as humans need to do things just before we're ready. Mm-hmm. And I think you, know, you launched this conference just before you were ready. You launched yourself into a, a speaking career just before you were ready. Um, and uh, I, I think that's so important because if we wait until we are ready, we are we will wait for a very long time mm-hmm. um, and, and potentially never. Right. Like when are we ever if we, if we waited until we were ready to have a child, <laughs> um, right. If we waited until we were ready to own a house and yeah. we waited until we were ready to, you know, whatever. Right. Like insert live in Italy for a month, whatever. Right. And so like those kinds of moments, it's like you got to we recognize that we learned how to swim after we got in the pool, not before. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you just got to get in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really awesome to see the way that you've done that. And it's also okay that you didn't see it. Mm-hmm. That does not make the people who did see it before you wrong. No. And that's the whole point that confidence is a team sport, right? Because we don't live in a world where I can see every good thing about me because we don't live in a world where we are taught to look in the mirror and pick out all the wonderful things about yourself. Mm -hmm. No, we live in a world where we are taught to look in the mirror and be critical of yourself, Mm -hmm. to see every negative thing anybody has ever said about you. Those sentences that somebody told you in the like elementary school playground when someone called you stupid or fat or whatever, and it'll like stick in your brain like a splinter (laughs) for the rest of your life, Mm -hmm. right? So like, that's what we see when we look in the mirror. And I'm not, that doesn't, that's not my fault. That doesn't mean I'm weak. That doesn't mean I don't have confidence. That means, that doesn't mean I have no self-worth. It just means that in our culture, that is the way we as humans, but especially women in our culture are taught to look at themselves. We can't always see our magic and our light, but we can see it in other people. And every single one of us has a person in our life we think is dope and they have no idea how cool they are. Because they can't see what we can see, which is why we need to be on a team of people who can help you see you through their eyes. I will never see me the way you see me. But when you tell me what you see in me and you make me feel it, I can start to see myself the way you see me. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to happen overnight and it's not going to happen automatically. And I need you to keep reminding me. But that's why we need these teams of people. That's why new parents need other new parents to be like, you're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. I need women to be like, listen, sis, you're really helpful and I'm grateful for you. And I need my partner to tell me why I should keep trying to put new things out into the world. Because if we don't help each other feel, if we don't help each other see the goodness in ourselves, then I don't know that we'll ever get there. Confidence turns out is a team sport. Tina Van Steenbergen. <laughs> Coming out and dropping a hot 16 <laughs> on y'all. That may be a hot 32. Usually, no matter yeah. what, it's bars. Usually there's a bigger number. If it's like if this is a shorter or longer version, it's the longer version for me. Bars, Tina. I don't care how many it was. They were all worth it. Uh, Tina, I am grateful that you are on my team 
and I am uh, grateful to be on yours. Mm. And so I love you a lot. And thank you for coming into the diner and, uh, and being your, just your wonderful self. Um, uh, yeah. And I just, I just appreciate you a lot. And uh, this was, this was really special having you here uh, for the year anniversary show. Mm, it makes me feel really special and I'm really grateful to be on your team. And you can tell me all day how cool it's been to watch Persist happen from the sidelines. But watching you turn quarantine into Diner Talks with James and all of the other incredible things you've created, uh, you are a primary reason that Persist exists. Persist exists? Cool. You are one of the reasons that it happened because... Uh, you inspired me to create and I'm grateful for you. I love it. Tina, let the people know where they can follow you on the social medias, where your website is. Go ahead and let them go ahead. Go ahead and let them love you somewhere else. My Instagram handle is the same as my website. The same as all of the places you can find me. I am Tina Ray Van on the internet. Uh, Ray spelled R-A-E. It's my middle name. So I'm Tina Rayvan on all forms of places. You can find me there. And if you want to learn more about Persist, you can also find that on my social media. And I'd love to talk to you about it because it's badass. So Facts. Facts. Thank you, Tina, for coming in. I appreciate you. <clears throat> Y'all, that was Tina Van Steenbergen sliding into the diner booth with her basic diner order. And I am totally fine with it. What an incredible moment. Uh, we have been on a journey over the last year. Uh, and for those of you that heard her first episode and now heard this one, you got to hear us on the front end of, uh, of being pregnant. Um, and now uh, on the back end of having a baby that is eight months old. And, uh, and so it's just, it's been, it's been quite a ride. And like, like we just ended there, uh, super proud to have her uh, and fortunate to have her as my teammate on this journey. Uh, and uh, thank you all for coming and letting us, uh, maybe there were some cheesy parts in there, y'all, but that's okay. Love's supposed to be cheesy. It's love. Uh, and uh, and I'm fine with it. Compare us. Go ahead. Compare us to one of the greatest foods on earth. I'm fine with it. Uh, but no matter what, my friends, uh, thank you again for those of you that have been with us for the whole year. Or maybe this is the first episode that you listen to. I don't care. You're in the diner booth. Sit down. Enjoy a milkshake. And as always, my friends, continue to punch small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now. You're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, 
Keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.